0: This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's
1: largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM.
2: When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong.
1: Well, good morning again, and welcome to the Saturday Morning Show here on WGN Radio Chicago. Orion, coming your way, and we'll spend the next hour together with some interesting guests who are going to be discussing various phases of agriculture. We're going to check in with uh, Blake Lanfear of the Wagner Historic Farm in Glenview, Illinois. Talk a little bit about that interesting farm, which is inside the city limits of Glenview, Illinois. And uh, then we're going to talk to a uh, uh, first-time guests on our program to talk about markets. Uh, Baron Newsom will be uh, visiting with Max Armstrong a little bit later here on the Saturday morning show. So uh, anyway, the markets this week, uh, again reacting to progress one day, lack of progress the next day on the t- trade talks between China and the United States. Our negotiators were in Beijing this week and uh, yesterday and the day before had meetings there. And I was a little surprised to see that the Chinese negotiators are coming to the United States next week to continue the talks and the negotiations. And every day they say they're feeling better and more positive about progress But it's now nine months that we've been hearing that, so I'm not sure that it'll ever uh, be resolved to everybody's satisfaction. But then, as I said years ago, watching trade negotiations is like watching paint dry. It takes forever to iron out all the differences that countries have in what they would like to see. And as I uh, have also said, that if it's, beneficial more for one side than the other then it probably isn't the best agreement and the future of an agreement of that type just isn't all that sound so at eight minutes after five o'clock here on the saturday morning show again coming your way from wgn west in scottsdale Arizona. Uh, We're going to get to that first visit about the Illinois Ag Leadership Program and one of the participants. And uh, then we're going to talk about the Wagner Historic Farm in Glenview, Illinois. All of that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. This morning, we're talking to Blake Lanfear who is, well, he's wearing a couple of titles this morning. He is a member of the Agricultural Leadership Class in Illinois for the current class. He is also Farm Operations Manager for the historic Wagner Farm in Glenview. Blake, good to have you with us this morning. And I first of all want to talk about the Ag Leadership Class because I know uh, you recently returned From the annual trip the class takes to uh, Washington D.C., you described it as a life changing event. Why?
3: Well, thank you, Orion. It's great to be talking with you. Um, We just got back from our annual trip in D.C. and it was it was a life changer. And you know, to first thank the ILF staff and ILF board members and all my classmates that made it fun and very educational. Uh, To me, it was great to see how much agriculture has a presence in our national government and how widespread it is throughout the different departments.
1: You had a great leader in uh, Lee Strom, who, of course, spent time in Washington at the Farm Credit Administration, and I understand they honored him while you were there for the trip.
3: Yes, they did. It was great to have Lee as our leader just showing us around DC and uh, all his knowledge of the different departments as well. And we did go to the Farm Credit Administration where he was honored and presented with the flag that they had gotten for him. And we got to meet all the board members of the Farm Credit there as well. And it was just great to see and have him with us on the trip.
1: I know it's difficult to uh, describe the most meaningful event on the trip, but how many different government agencies did you have the opportunity to spend time with?
3: We had quite a number. I think it was 40 speakers in total across the different agencies. Um, And I think the highlight of the speakers, for me at least, was uh, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. He was able to speak with the class, which was an absolute joy and honor to to be there and talk with him i know that
1: he has a strong feeling about attracting younger people into agriculture he's very supportive ffa and very supportive of 4-H. but how did he react to uh, an agricultural leadership
3: training class oh uh, he, he was really really receptive to all of our questions and he did a lot of just talking with us, conversing back and forth, which was, which was great. I mean, someone that's a big advocate for American agriculture and just such a down-to-earth guy. And we had uh, quite the conversation with him just about current issues and things going on with agriculture and and things in the future. And he was able to give us a few leadership lessons and advice to the class as well just to to help strengthen future ag leadership so it was all in all very very helpful and and very fulfilling
1: in your discussions at the department of agriculture uh, trade and trade agreements or lack of have been the hot issue for the past year or so was that brought up in any of your conversations
3: yes it was and we had before uh, Secretary Perdue, Under Secretary McKinney came and talked to us about trade, and he mentioned the USMCA and saying that they are optimistic that it's going to go through and get passed, but it'll be some struggle, is what he said. And also with China and our trade there, they're very, again, cautiously optimistic, but looking forward to hopefully getting a trade agreement through to help American agriculture.
1: So you not only visited government agencies in Washington, D.C., but you spent, what, a day or so dealing with history at Gettysburg?
3: Yes, we did. We got a tour, a very in-depth tour of Gettysburg and learning the different leadership styles of the, the, the generals back in the Civil War and how they... Use their leadership through the Battle of Gettysburg, and again, it was a very humbling experience to see how big and how uh, how big Gettysburg was, and how influential it was in the Civil War.
1: So, how will you take what you learned on this trip forward in your endeavors on behalf of agriculture?
3: Well, for me, it's just a. A big, a big jump for me in my career, helping prepare me and my 29 other classmates for the fast changing future of agriculture. We've got a we've got a lot of work ahead of us and we're going to need strong leadership in the future and learning these different skills and speaking and communicating with people and just sharpening those leadership skills will help me for the rest of my life. So let's talk about career
1: because I lived in Glenview for quite a few years shortly after moving to Chicago and on the way to WGN for the morning show every day, I'd drive past the Wagner farm and it was so comforting to see Mm -hmm. dairy cattle in a suburb of Chicago. Talk to me about the Wagner farm.
3: Yes, Wagner Farm. We are the last farm in Glenview. We're a working educational farm, and we're actively engaged in ag education. We see hundreds. uh, We saw one hundred and thirty thousand people last year, and we're just trying to connect them better with where their food comes from, and just gain a better appreciation of agriculture. And we're, like I said, we're a working farm. We do produce lots of produce and different products to. Add to the agriculture community, and it is a it's kind of a jewel in Glenview where it's a very special place.
1: Tell us where in Glenview it's located for people who want to drive by or stop in.
3: We're on the east side of Glenview, right off of Lake Avenue and Wagner Road.
1: And this is a farm that has been in existence for I would guess a few years. Uh, Going back, how far?
3: Well, the farm was purchased through referendum in 1998 from the Wagner family, and the Wagner family actually came to this area in 1854, and they had been farming ever since then. What livestock do you have on the farm currently? Yeah, currently we have seven dairy cattle. We have five beef cattle that was added here recently. And this spring we'll be getting 15 hogs, 20 sheep for our 4-H club and their projects. We have about 120 laying hens right now. We're selling a lot of eggs, and we have four Pertron draft horses.
1: That's a pretty good roundup of uh, farm animals from the days that I was a kid on the farm. We worked with, I think, all of those animals. So, what about visiting hours, and is there a charge? Give me the details on how to attract people and uh, what they will see or do. Will they milk a cow?
3: There are. We have a variety of different programs. People can go online to uh, Wagner our our website. And they can sign up for different programs. We're open from 9 to 5 every day of the week. And when you come to the farm, it's free admission. So you can walk the grounds, see the animals, come inside to our Heritage Center, interact with exhibits, and just be on the farm. Just have an easy day full of fun. And
1: how many people did you say visit you annually?
3: We're right around 130,000, and we're going to be expecting that much or more this coming year. So we're very busy. We have a lot of visitation, which is great. I mean, we're, we're having people learning about agriculture, and as we progress into the future, people are getting further removed. So we're trying to bring that back and educate people, like I said, about where their food is coming from and how it's produced. Since farmers in
1: the country often run into challenges from neighbors who don't like the working hours or the noise or the odor, how do you deal with your neighbors in Glenview on that one?
3: Well, it just comes down to being a good neighbor, making connections with people in the community, talking to them about what we do. And, you know, some of our challenges really are just getting products. We're, we're so far removed from other agribusinesses or different farms just to get hay in or uh, different things like that. But we try and we try and really keep everything clean, up to par. Like, we're the, we're the platform for agriculture in this area, and we, we give uh, a voice to other farmers in the area, so we try and do our best to represent that. And finally,
1: give me your email or your address again and your website so people can learn more about it and uh, how they set up plans to visit.
3: Yes, you can find us. If you Google Historic Wagner Farm, you can find us online or through the Glenview Park District website. We're at 1510 Wagner Road in Glenview right off of Lake Avenue, which is not too far from 94.
1: Well, we thank you for being a part of the class because as you probably know, I was involved with the Illinois Ag Leadership Program from the beginning and uh, and still I think I'm an emeritus member of the board because I served as board and board chairman. So, uh I I'm, I'm pleased that you're participating and that you'll carry the story of agriculture. So keep on doing what you're doing, okay? Well, thank you, Orion, and thank you for all your contribution to agriculture. And our thanks to Blake Landfear, Farm Operations Manager at the Historic Farm in Glenview, Illinois. We're coming up to 25 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show on WGN Radio Chicago. And if you're a member of the Farm Bureau, you received an... uh, article from the president of the American Farm Bureau. Uh, Vincent is his first name, but you never call him Vincent. It's Zippy Duval. He's a poultry, cattle, and hay producer from Greene County, Georgia. He's the 12th president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. And one of the nice things about my job is I cover the newsmakers in the world of agriculture and agribusiness, but many of them become good friends, and that's certainly the case with Zippy. I've enjoyed interviewing him and working uh, with him to talk about Farm Bureau policy over the years. But uh, he sent an email this week, I think, to all Farm Bureau members, and I just want to quote a couple of paragraphs of that email. And I'm quoting now Zippy Duval, president of the American Farm Bureau. He said many of you know that my wife Bonnie has been in the hospital for several weeks recovering from emergency surgery related to her cancer. And I've been spending a lot more time in Georgia than in Washington lately. But Bonnie is doing much better. Still a long road ahead, but Bonnie is getting stronger every day, and we're both so grateful for the outpouring of well wishes and prayers we have received. And I know that your prayers have made a difference. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. And then he goes on to say, In thinking about whether to write about a personal topic instead of the usual ag policy issues, the answer was clearly yes, because Agriculture and Farm Bureau are such a big part of life for Bonnie and me. It's times like this that remind us of what's really important. Agriculture is foundational to the life that Bonnie and I have built together. Many Farm Bureau couples travel their agricultural leadership path as partners, as we have done for about 40 years. That message from Zippy Duval, president of the American Farm Bureau, and I think, we need to continue to send prayers their way because, uh, as he said, long road to go yet for Bonnie and her health. One other note before we get to the 530 News headlines. Uh, Pretty good news from China, if we can believe what we hear from China. But animal health researchers in a northeastern province have isolated a strain of the African swine fever virus that has spread across China since the summer. But the work is only a first step toward a commercially viable vaccine. And I can't, uh, well, I don't understand all of the medical technical terms they use here, but uh They said the sample was taken from the spleen of a pig at a farm where an outbreak of the disease was reported in September, and the group's findings were published for peer review. This is basic research. The lead researcher at the institute said it is the first step, but it's hard to say when can we start to produce a vaccine. And we've talked about this problem, African swine one of the deadliest viral diseases affecting pigs, posing a serious threat to China's domestic pig production, which, by the way, accounts for more than half of the world's total hog production. And the first outbreak was reported on August 3rd, and it's been spreading since. And uh, they have been culling hogs because there is no vaccine And so they have been calling hogs to keep the disease from spreading. But the way people can travel today around the world and the ease of travel, it's difficult to keep a disease like this from spreading. So it's encouraging news. We're going to continue to watch it and hope that this first step is successful in creating a vaccine to uh, at least slow down the spread of the disease. We're coming up to uh, news headlines time, and uh, on part two of the Saturday morning show, a little bit of my personal thoughts on Samuelson Says. And we're going to also uh, talk markets. And uh, first timer on the show will be joining Max Armstrong, Baron Newsom. And he has some interesting things to say about where we're going market wise heading into the spring planting season well thank you very much pam and we'll check in again for the news at six o'clock here on this saturday morning 25 minutes away from that six o'clock hour and uh, coming up uh, a market discussion max armstrong will be talking to baron Newsom and get his analysis of the current situation as we get closer, I hope, to planting season, but uh, the weatherman isn't really cooperating all that much right now with getting that soil warm enough and dry enough so that farmers can get in the field and go to work. We begin this segment of the Saturday morning show with Samuelson Says, and of course, I'm Orion, and this week I'm going to be talking about a subject I've touched on before, the lack of action on meaningful legislation in Congress.
2: Do you have trouble finding time to get to confession? Then Be Reconciled Day is for you. I'm Bishop of Rockford, David Malloy, and I want to personally invite all Catholics to the Sacrament of Confession anytime on Be Reconciled Day, Wednesday, April 10th. Whether it's been a few months or many years, come to Confession on April 10th and be reconciled. For church locations and confession times near you, visit bereconciled.rockforddiocese.org. We look forward to seeing you.
1: At the very outset, let me say this is not a political statement. And I know that some of you will react saying, oh yes it is, because... It's amazing on the reaction of some people to things I say on the air, that they can tell me who I voted for, they can tell me from the inflection in my voice of who I like. Not true, and this is not a political statement. But I'll tell you this, I'm getting tired of Congress not doing the job it should be doing. I think Congress should stop investigating and start legislating. After all, that's why we elect members of the House and the Senate to go to Washington to legislate. And instead, we get the ongoing investigations of anything and everything of party-biased issues that America is facing. And frankly, I'm getting tired of the lack of action. When I asked for comments on Samuelson Says as to what I should talk about a few weeks ago, I heard from several of you who said, talk about Congress not doing its job, just infighting and trying to stymie the other side of the aisle and not get legislation passed that we really need. And again, I... I don't think I've forgotten the lessons I learned in going to grade school and high school and the composition of the U.S. government. We have a judicial branch, and that's the branch that should be doing the investigating of activities that do need investigating. And then there, of course, is the legislative branch. That's Congress. And they should go ahead and write the legislation, And then finally, the executive branch should approve or veto whatever is passed legislatively in Congress. But we've not been seeing that. How many millions of dollars of your and my tax money and how many hours of time have been spent on investigating issues to satisfy the thinking of various factions in Congress? Never ending. And these factions, of course, get a lot of attention in news coverage. And I guess maybe that's why they continue to do what they do. But instead we need immigration legislation. We need trade legislation and we need so many other important issues in our lives addressed with legislation rather than party driven investigation. So my word again to Congress, Time to stop investigating and start legislating. That's why we sent you to Washington, D.C. And one other note in some of the responses I received from you on Samuelson Says topics, term limits came up several times, and maybe it's time we think about that. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. At 20 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show, And time to talk markets, standing by with a guest, Max Armstrong, and we'll get to him and his guest when we continue here on the Saturday
0: morning show. Talking with us this weekend about the markets, Darren Newsom, Darren Newsom Analysis, Inc., joining us in the studio. Good to have you here with us, sir. Welcome. Thank you, Max. Uh, Enjoying being in. I'm ashamed to say I think this is the first time in my career I've ever interviewed you. It's possible. You know,
2: I know we've been at a number of the same things over the years. uh, But, yeah,
0: I mean, my memory's not good. So this very
2: well may be the first time. (laughs) Or
0: or maybe your memory is good, and it was one of those things you just wanted to block out. But it's a privilege to have you in the studio with us today. Thank you. i got to ask you right off the bat here, are you as bearish as everybody else?
2: You know, I, my you know my reputation is to be more bearish than everybody. But you, one could, if we look at history of what normally happens from here on out, particularly in the soybean market, you can almost make the argument that everyone's too bearish, and that's incredible. I know coming from me, uh, but you know, am I still bearish?
0: Yeah, am I as bearish as what some others have turned? Probably not. I'm one of those who likes to compare with what we've seen in history, too. Right? Mm-hmm. People say, you, live, you know, Max, you live in the past too much. <laughs> the reality, though, is this trade war makes it very difficult, does it not, Darren, to compare with what's happened before this, to compare this with another planting season? Absolutely.
2: I mean, there is no analogous year that we can go back to. I mean, some people want to go back 20, 30 years, but the situation has changed so much since then that we can't, we can't go back twenty, thirty years. There's no relevancy. There's, you know, there's, there's basically zero correlation to that situation and what we're facing right now. You know, we can look at the export numbers and say, yeah, but these are about the same. But it's not the same situation. We've grown more soybeans. We've produced more soybeans over the last six years. Uh, the situation is far different, and that's why I guess, you know, as as we sit here, you know, what's interesting to me is the continued guesses on ending stocks and these sorts of things in soybeans, because we're seeing a huge divergence between, you know, what could be and what is being projected at this time. Uh, It leaves the door open for a lot of possibilities yet this year. And again, the wild card is how long is this trade war going to last?
0: We can talk about drought conditions in the United States, perhaps developing. We can talk about drought someday in South America. But is the world destined to be awash in soybeans for a long time here? It looks like it. You know, uh, we were talking, you know, earlier this year,
2: just as last year where we had the drought in uh, in Argentina, this year's drought was supposed to reduce Brazil's production. But for some reason, they just keep shipping soybeans. It's like they've got plenty on hand and they keep going to China. So right now, it seems that we have plenty of soybeans on hand and I don't know supply and demand. Nobody knows the supply and demand, but if I look at the market and I look at the future spreads and I see that the May July spreads covering about eighty percent of full cal- calculated full commercial carry and I look further out and see similar uh, similar situations tells me that the market believes the world's awash in plenty of soybeans that there is no shortage of supply and that we're not going to see uh, some sort of supply scare you know at least in the short term if not the intermediate term future
0: now here's the old guy harkening back to past seasons, Mm -hmm. but we saw it as recently as a year ago. Uh, Is there the possibility during the planting season here there could be a meaningful spike that there could be the opportunity for the producer to do some significant pricing?
2: Yeah, and I just posted a look for that very reason. I just posted an updated look at the no-soybean seasonality, and in April and May, we do see soybeans, the November contract, go up about 3%. and So there is... This opportunity. And you know, if we close you know, this week somewhere in the 920 range, uh, that would project out to almost 950 by the time we get to late May. So, yeah, I think there is an, an opportunity. I think we could see that. Uh, it would make sense. There's going to be a lot of talking. There's always some sort of weather event during planting that gets everyone's attention, and get them excited for about five, six days. So, yeah, I think there's still an opportunity. If you know, Looking at seasonal studies, I think there's an opportunity for a rally.
0: The real lesson, though, right, Darren, is if we're in those five or six days, mm-hmm. you need to recognize it quickly yeah. before that fifth or sixth day and it's too late.
2: Yeah, you know, again, with the fundamentals as bearish as they are, and when we're, when we're talking about new crop fundamentals, really the only thing that we have any slightest idea on is what beginning stocks. We don't know what the number is going to be, but we know it's going to be large. Uh, it's going to be, you know, record large uh, According to some. So that's the only thing we know. And so what that means is we have a big buffer. We've got a large buffer uh, going into this new crop season. So just to your point... If we see this rally, if we see five, six days of the market getting excited, we've got to take it. We've got to jump on. It. We've got to recognize it, and uh, we've got to use it to our. We've got to use it to our advantage. When
0: well, that happened last spring, it was yes, the opportunity of the year, wasn't it? It was because after that, and it
2: usually doesn't give you a second chance uh, because the reality sets in. We've got a lot of soybeans. We've got a lot of competition. We don't have a lot of demand, and all of a sudden, when the comfort level
0: of, of the crop that's in the field goes up, markets tend to go down. We also note that the talks with the Chinese are continuing in some way, shape, or form. And if we see the market uh, mm-hmm. getting whipsawed back and forth by this. If that were to happen to coincide with a weather event or something else, that could contribute perhaps. But again, this is a short-term thing, likely, right? I mean, this isn't going to be an extended rally, is it? No, I don't think so.
2: And, and you know, the, the trade talk stuff happens about every week. Uh, you know, either on Friday afternoon or over the weekend, we see, oh yeah, trade talks are going really well, and you know, hope to see some sort of market reaction. Market seems to be growing numb to this sort of thing, and I think the reality is, is we're deep. You know, we're into the second half of the marketing year now for both corn and soybeans, and when it comes to soybeans, we're not going to catch up. We're not going to catch up with USDA's projection at this point, and that's why you know it is going to be interesting to see in subsequent reports, particularly once we get to the May monthly supply and demand report. What USDA starts to do when nobody's paying attention to old crop numbers anymore, uh, what they start to do with ending stocks numbers at that point. So we've got that to look forward to. But I just don't see us catching up. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, if we get the headlines uh, with any substance behind them, the trade talks are actually going well. The market could react. I think it's going to be short term. But until we see talks that, you know, intellectual property uh, is there's actually being progress made there. Everything else is just everything else is just fluff at this point.
0: Intellectual property, and if we can find a way to actually police it, and that's the and thing guarantee how, that they're abiding with they a deal. There's no way of doing that. I mean, <laughs> so that's 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 a real problem. Past performance is questionable on the part of those <laughs> exactly. characters, isn't it? What about corn? Yeah,
2: corn. Um, corn is a fascinating market right now. It's fascinating. In, it, it's fascinating in the same way that watching a sloth uh, at a zoo is fascinating. It doesn't ever move. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's something going on you know the sloth is alive there's something going on with it just never moves and that's the way corn is we've got this huge non-commercial short position going on in in the corn market and they're not and they're not covering that we've got bearish fundamentals if we look again at the May July spread we've got bearish fundamentals uh, we've got basis that remains firm firmer stronger than uh, stronger than average and the futures market doesn't want to go down. doesn't want to go up, but it doesn't want to go down. And usually when you look at this combination of bearish fundamentals and a large fund net short position, markets are usually under pressure. It doesn't matter what market it is. Corn's holding together relatively well. I have a rule that says a market that can't go down won't go down. And so there's something out there that we don't know that's supporting the corn market right now. And so it's going to be interesting, again, uh, to watch this play out over time. Who's going to Who's going to win? Does you know right now funds and, and and commercials are on the same side. They're both bearish. Does one of them blink and turn bullish, or does one of them cover their short position? If so, does this give us an opportunity, even if we've got plenty of corn on hand uh, for a decent rally in old crop and maybe even spilling over into new crop? I think it's out there. I think there's again it's hard for me to say. Uh, people aren't going to believe I'm not as bearish as usual, but.
0: It certainly looks like that potential is still out there. Has the flooding of the Missouri River Valley perhaps contributed, at least in recent days, to putting that floor, as such, under the corn market? With a question mark out there, we're not sure about how much is lost here. The, the easy answer would be to say yes. But this persisted probably. This was probably in place even before the flooding. It, it, it was, you know, and w- so
2: we see the funds, and one would have thought that they would have covered some of their position given the headlines and yeah. the pictures associated with the flood, but they haven't. Of course, those haven't played much on the coast.
0: <laughs> they haven't
2: played much on the coast. And, you know, then we when we look at the spreads and they haven't moved. The only thing, the only area where we've really seen this, really seen the flood seemingly play out is in basis. And basis has continued to firm the last couple of weeks. But again, the trend was for stronger basis anyway. Uh, no one was wanting to sell over the course of the winter. All the bins were snowed in and everything else. So we've seen some, we've seen some strength in basis. Will this continue? To me, the true story as far as the flood is localized, is regionalized, uh, and that's going to play out in the basis. I just don't see it having right. a big effect, at least not right
0: now, looking at the spreads and looking at the futures themselves. We uh, will probably be a while before we get our arms around the loss there, will we not? And that would apply, I would think, to livestock, too.
2: Right. And and, and it certainly will. Uh, You know, we don't really know how much of the grain on farm uh, in on farm storage was lost during this thing. You know, again, you see the horror stories. You see the crime scene photos, basically, of burst bins of this grain floating in these in these swollen rivers. And, uh, you know, it's just. Miles and miles of this same thing, dead uh, livestock. No matter you know,
0: everywhere you look. When the water's in the bin, it's in the entire bin. Absolutely. I mean, even if it's only two or three rings up. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they're saying.
2: Yeah. And, and there's really no salvaging. Uh, you know, you can't really move that grain into any sort of market uh, if it's been spoiled, and it's just going to sit there and get wetter and wetter all the time. So, yeah, there's a, there's a real problem in that area along eastern Nebraska and parts of western Iowa. The question, again, is how widespread is it? How much of a, of a large effect will this have? Again, I see it more as a local regional market uh, situation until proven otherwise, until the market tells me, until the bigger market tells me that it's also concerned about it.
0: It's not unimportant geography. What if, though, if the weather scenario plays out to be just what it has been, continued wet, continued mm-hmm. cold, and it keeps farmers out of the fields, not just yeah. there, but the damage has been done, but in a wider area.
2: That's going to make things interesting. If you know, right now we're seeing all of these uh, maps projecting flooding this spring because you know we're going to get the snow melt from the northern plains moving into the rivers. We're, you know, supposed to have wetter than normal uh, situations across much of the Midwest. If this plays out, you know, just as we talked about with the uh, with the no beans, I think we could see December corn. Uh, post a planting season maybe even an early summer rally depending on how how severe this gets depending on how this actually plays out i think there's some room uh for december corn to move up it ha again it hasn't wanted to do anything it stays within this tight range uh it's just it does what corn likes to do but it could certainly move up towards the upper end of that
0: uh if we see uh if we see these uh, severe situations really play out this spring Darren, it's great to have you in the studio. We can talk with you much longer, but we appreciate the, the opportunity for folks who want to follow you or perhaps mm-hmm. subscribe to your newsletter. How do they go about it? All
2: right, they can find me on Twitter at either Darren, you know, just at Darren Newsom or at Newsom Analysis. Uh, and our website is uh, darrennewsom.com for Darren Newsom Analysis, Inc.
0: Darren, D A R I N. Newsome, Newsom, N-E-W-S-O-M. Okay, that's correct. All right. We'll follow you. I Thank think you I next. already do, as a matter <laughs> of fact. Good to have you here, sir. We appreciate it. All right, thanks. Darren Newsom.
1: In case you missed the numbers in the report yesterday on planting intentions, i um, close the show this morning by repeating them. U.S. farmers, according to that USDA report, intend to plant 92.8 million acres of corn million acres of soybeans this year. Corn number higher than trade estimates and the soybean number below the trade estimates. USDA projected total 2019 wheat plantings at 45.7 million acres below the range of trade estimates and down 4% from 2018. The USDA also reported March 1st corn supplies, 8.6 billion bushels above trade estimates, soybean stocks above trade estimates at 2.7 billion bushels, while wheat stocks were in line with expectations. But there was this Uh, Concern expressed by the uh, gentleman at the National Agricultural Statistics Service, uh, Lance Honig, who said nearly all of the data were collected before the flooding began, and it will take time to determine what impact it has on final plantings. And, of course, when those numbers were released yesterday, the numbers that uh, the Chicago Board of Trade reacted negatively, particularly in the corn number. Uh, we lost seventeen and a quarter cents a bushel yesterday in July corn futures July wheat futures were down five and three quarter cents. July soybeans also down five and three quarters cents and in livestock trade yesterday, the June lean hog contract down four dollars and fifteen cents a hundredweight. June live cattle down $0.62 a hundredweight and the April feeder cattle contract down $0.37 a hundredweight at the close of trade yesterday. Well, that's our time again on this Saturday morning. Thank you so much. Our thanks to uh, Bob Ferguson who makes this magic happen from Scottsdale, Arizona. And above all, thanks to you for listening on Chicago's very own. And by the way, I need to mention the Steve Cochran Show celebrates the most valuable person on the planet weekday mornings at 7.20 on 720 WGN Chicago. (laughs)
3: Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Windrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.